from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 37 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind, to sighted parents who have blind children, blind parents who have sighted children, blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, making reservations on the reservation, visiting Native America, Alaska, and Hawaii, and finding blind ski programs. Back when I could see and drive, and was on long trips here in the Rocky Mountains, I would occasionally pass an American Indian-owned casino, usually with a small hotel nearby. Since I didn't have time to stop, I just drove by without much thought. Since then, I've found out that there are more than a thousand, probably closer to two thousand, Native American, Native Alaskan, and Native Hawaiian-owned hotels, resorts, restaurants, museums, ski resorts, cultural centers, and tour companies. You can plan an entire vacation around visiting Native America. They range from huge, glitzy hotels and casinos, like the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, to places where you can literally stay in a teepee. Some of us can't see the breathtaking surrounding scenery near many of these attractions. Others may see them, but not well. But we can experience them. And the most meaningful experience is meeting people we might not normally meet. People from 574 federally recognized Indian tribes in the continental United States and Alaska, plus Native Hawaiians. I think um, one of the things is to keep open is for um, not only food and drink and, and place to stay, but to think about everything from performing arts to dance. There's so many other, about all the different aspects of culture that one might expect explore while they're in these places within our borders. Also, they're sovereign nations, and it's really exciting to think about that way, too. That's Melanie Laborwit, Native and Cultural Coordinator for the Native American Indian and Native Alaskan Tourism Association. 
called IANTA. One of the things that I think is really exciting is visiting tribal museums and cultural centers for an opportunity to learn both about the historic past as well as how cultures have evolved and how people live today. And you have an opportunity in those centers often to meet people from the community. Throughout the year, there's also opportunities if you check the websites for those places. There's often hands-on activities and demonstrations and, and everything in between. I mean, there's some much smaller villages where people might find themselves. And you know, so there's lodging in homes or there might be something that's been created for an adventurous cultural tourist. One of those cultural experiences is staying in a real teepee. We are actually a nonprofit organization that serve Native youth, and we have a 10-acre facility. Part of that programming is youth-led social enterprises, and one of those is teepee stays. Uh, we're listed in Hip Camp and Airbnb. You can find our website, teepeestays.com, and we offer lodging and Lakota-style teepees on the prairies uh, of South Dakota. That's Marlo Bullbeer, Executive Director of Lakota Youth Development on the east edge of the Rosebud Indian Reservation in south-central South Dakota. They have seven teepees that are 18 feet wide and big enough for a whole family. The best way, I think, to give people an idea is it it can house about five adult-sized cots. Or if you're wanting to sleep in sleeping bags, kids on the, on the ground, you can certainly have uh, more people in a lodge if you're camping family style. We do offer cots for people that would prefer cots, but we do have buffalo robes that are, uh, we have a floor um, inside and then there's buffalo robes laid. We have a traditional chairs or backrests that would be, would have, would have been traditionally used. Primarily buffalo robes were, and hides were used as well as hay prairie grasses uh, to make make beds in the lodges. So we have um, all those experiences, and you can have your fire inside the lodge or outside. Usually in the summertime, it's really not necessary, and it's really a sturdy lodging. We've had lodges that, have, that can withstand over 60-mile-an-hour winds. Search the Internet for TP Rentals and TP Stays to find a number of places where you can stay in one. If you want a really unique experience in Alaska, you can go to its most northern city, which up to a few years ago was named Barrow. My name is Nsoyak Solomon. I am the assistant manager for Top of the World Hotel in Utkiagobik, Alaska. Yes, it used to be Barrow back in, I believe it was 2016. Our city had a vote to change its name to Utkiagobik uh, back to what it originally was before. It is a tribal name. We are the Inupiaq people in the northernmost point in Alaska. I mean, it is completely different and it's usually not what people expect. They usually don't think that we have things like elevators or street lights or fruit and vegetables available. I mean, we have one large grocery store and then one, two, three smaller stores. That's Phoebe Kippy, gift shop manager for the North Slope Oil and Heritage Center. 
Phoebe says their high school even has a football team. But instead of going to games by school bus, they fly. And that goes for wrestling, cross country, volleyball, basketball. The elementary school has a choir that has traveled to Disneyland multiple times. So there are tons of activities if your child is interested in it. She said Utkiatvik reached a high of 71 degrees Fahrenheit, 21.6 degrees Celsius last summer. I spoke to her two days before Thanksgiving. Well, right now it is negative nine degrees. The wind chill is minus 29, and it is 13 mile an hour wind. It's just a constant prevailing wind. Phoebe says in the winter, there isn't too much going on, except seeing the northern lights when it isn't cloudy. In the springtime is the spring whale hunt. We have the spring festival in April. The community is invited. In the summertime, we have the blanket toss festival, July 4 games. The fall time, not really a lot of events, but whaling season. They can sit and watch. The process it takes to bring a whale ashore and butchering. Jeff Seifert is general manager of KBRW Public Radio, the only radio station in Utkiadvik. He says there's another summer activity people specifically come to Utkiadvik for. Uh, the North Slope is a major migration area for all sorts of birds. So we get a lot of, of birders up here uh, checking out the birds as they migrate through in the summertime. We're going to have a story on blind birding on a future show. In addition to bringing binoculars, monoculars if you only have useful vision in one eye, or recording equipment, you might want to add insect repellent to your supply list. Lots of insect repellent. Alaska, Alaska is kind of famous for its mosquitoes. They are very, very thick. Usually around July, late July and August, you don't uh, stand in one place for very long because clouds of mosquitoes will take over. Jeff says it's worth going to Utkiavik just to experience its uniqueness. Being at the top of the world, we're at the very, very tip top of the state. If you look at a map, you'll see a little point at the top, and that's us. It's very flat. You can see for miles, so you can actually see the curvature of the earth or the tundra. There's there's no hills, no mountains, no trees. We don't ha we don't even have cockroaches up here. Nothing can survive in this climate except for mosquitoes. It's a very difficult place to live in for anyone with a disability because of the terrain. All our streets are gravel. We have no sidewalks. Jeff says coming to Utkiadvik to visitors in Alaska is a decision they make after arriving in the state. It becomes kind of a bucket list location for folks. Once they get to Alaska, they want to come see the top of the world. So they come to Point Barrow and just check it out. If you prefer a warmer climate, there are two ways where you can volunteer to improve the land while you're learning about Native Hawaiian culture while helping preserve it. 
Well, I, I go by Ekolu Lindsay. I'm the vice president of Kipuko Oluwalu, which is the reorganized Oluwalu Cultural Reserve. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization located in Oluwalu Valley on West Maui. People volunteer their time with us. To me, it's all about connecting people to the place through cultural restoration. So that includes getting rid of the invasive plant species, replanting native plants, soils, hydrology. We do uh, add some worm soup to some, uh, you know, to get our soil into great working order. We've got some bees. We do a lot of different things. We also learn about the different plants that we're getting rid of and putting in the ground. So you learn the cultural resources, you learn the medicinal uses, the names, origins, histories, a lot of culture, history, science involved in the day. We start at 7.30 in the morning and finish at about 11.30. Realistically, you know, our goals are simple. Have fun and learn one thing. And the funny thing about learning one thing is you learn way more than one because it's spider webs into many different aspects. Depends on what people are interested in. We have the unique ability to even include some art in some of the work that we do. And we can promise to send you home with awesome memories of Hawaii. There are no guest living accommodations on the preserve, but there is a hotel a 10-minute walk away. If you'd like to share experiences with a group of friends. My name is Kaui Kanaka'ole. I'm the executive director of Ala Kukui Retreat. We are a nonprofit organization that operates from a 12-acre retreat property. And our mission is to promote health and wellness of our community and our people and culture of Hana and Hawaii. We take groups, so you could definitely set up a retreat if you wanted to come here with a group. We have a retreat house that can sleep anywhere from 8 to 14 people. It's very remote. We're located on the east side of Maui, about 55 miles from the nearest airport. Our location, there is very little cell service and just one spot on property where you can connect to Wi-Fi. So it's very much unplugged type of retreat with the people that you're coming with. So it usually is intimate group who you know or are trying to get to know better. Activities range from different kinds of team building activities that you could do here, sightseeing, hikes, different tours in the community. Kaui can work with you to arrange all kinds of volunteer opportunities. Um, you can definitely sign up to do. We can arrange for that kinds of things. We have partners that we work with in our community that have other nonprofits that do cultural, like farming, fishing, taking care of coastal resources, working in the taro patches. So it kind of depends what kinds of cultural activities you want to do. We can help direct you or set you up with the right people. If you're planning a winter vacation, there are two Indian-owned and operated ski resorts, the Arizona Snow Bowl in Flagstaff and Ski Apache in Elto, New Mexico. Julie Catazzini is Ski Apache's marketing director. We have 55 trails. We have 11 lifts and our annual snowfall is around 15 feet. We are Mescalero Apache tribal owned and operated. We have Apache Windrider Zip Tour for the winter 
winter, we offer snowboarding and skiing. For the summer, we offer bike riding. We offer scenic gondola rides, hiking, and also the zip rider. Best of all, Ski Apache has an adaptive skiing program, which includes blind skiing. It's called Ski Apache Adaptive Sport. And we offer this program for free. It's for any of those who need help. Call Ski Apache Adaptive Sports when planning your ski trip. Their phone number is 1-575-464-3193. That's 1-575-464-3193. Not all Indian or reservation-owned destinations are on reservations. One of the most famous Native American restaurants is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Dana Thompson. I am co-owner of the company The Sous Chef and Awamni in Minneapolis. Uh, I am chief operating officer of The Sous Chef in Awamni, and I'm also the co-founder of Natives, which is North American traditional indigenous food system, and senior director of health and wellness. Awamni is spelled O-W-A. M-M-I. The restaurant has a very unique menu. We have decided to use a discipline of not using any ingredients that were not here before colonialism. So there's no wheat flour, no dairy, and no refined sugar to start. We also don't use things like beef, pork, and chicken, um, and some other things that were not here this continent before Columbus. Well, we have entirely diverse menu that caters a lot to a lot of different types of flavor profiles. We have a lot of plant-based foods, a lot of agriculture type foods, a lot of beans, corns, and squash, which are staples within tribal communities. But we also use things like blue corn from the Southwest, different types of flavors. Like for instance, instead of any citrus, which we didn't have, we use things like sumac for a, a citrus flavor, which is packed with vitamin C antioxidants and flavonoids. We use a lot of different types of proteins like bison, pheasant, turkey, duck, fish, lake fish. Of course, there's a ton of that here in Minnesota. We have access to different things like rabbits, and we even have crickets on our menu. With all the recent pressure to change the meaning names and nicknames of sports teams, schools, and even mountains, you might be confused to what to call native people with whom you haven't had a lot of interactions. Melanie Laborwit, Native and Cultural Coordinator for IANTA, the American Indian and Native Alaskan Tourism Association. The term Indian is used and as is Native American, as is Indigenous. Many people may express to you that they prefer that you refer to them by their tribal names. The term Eskimo is not one that is used any longer. And the same thing for Iroquois, although you still see the name in print, they prefer to use the the word Haudenosaunee, which is their historical name in their language. I think it's really exciting that people are looking into travel in Native America. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn about a contemporary community, not just the historical one. Um, People aren't gone. They're still here. There are lots of really fun experiences, delicious foods, and amazing opportunities to buy art and have really great memories and great experiences. 
but I think inevitably um, you learn a little bit about the people and that's ideally the best way to travel is to learn as you go and I think a lot of contemporary Native American communities and the destinations that are featured in NativeAmerica.travel are things will really dispel a lot of preconceived ideas that people might have about what they think they know about Native America. IANTA has several websites. The best one to start with is NativeAmerica.travel. That's NativeAmerica.travel. Every one of us, including me at the Tactile Traveler, are volunteers. Since any money spent for the program is out of pocket, none of us have visited any of the destinations in this story in person. So all of the content is the results of research. We do not accept anything like admission charges, meals, travel, or money for including anything in a story. Lorraine Hutchinson, Kaylee Romero, Emily Halbert, Tom Peterson, Leanne Fletcher, Tyler Cohn, Catherine Pickles, Hava Dean, Ed Mallon, Andrew Wycliffe, and Jeff Samuels helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's ski season in North America and Europe, and most major and many smaller ski resorts have blind ski and snowboard programs. We talked to Christine Holmberg, Executive Director of Foresight Ski Guides, one of two blind ski programs at Vail Ski Resort in Colorado, to get an idea of what you might expect if you go to one. And so what a guide does is call out the commands so the blind individual knows where to go. So, for instance, if you're skiing down a hill, you might hear and right and left, hold, stop. Those are commands that the guide is providing for the blind skier so they know how to navigate down the ski run safely without crashing into another skier or a tree or what have you. People who are just visually impaired follow a guide who's wearing a bright orange vest that says blind ski guide. Blind skiers wear vests that say blind skier. Foresight uses a shadow guide as well as the primary guide, which is pretty unusual. The shadow is, I call them the defensible space. They're the person who skis behind the group and tries to keep the general public from skiing in between the guide and the, and the VIP. We call all of our blind skiers VIPs, which stands for Visually Impaired Participants. So the, the shadow will ski in the back of the group to make sure that everybody stays as safe as possible while they're on the hill. I used to guide blind skiers in Aspen before I went blind and never expected that I would become blind. You need to be at least an intermediate skier. We had a couple of clinics, which are classes on how to guide. They were held on Sundays. We were given a free lift ticket the days of the clinics, and when we guided, we were given a ticket for that day and an additional day. In addition to guiding tips, we learned things like many blind skiers are diabetics. 
and that we should carry a candy bar with us in case our skier became hypoglycemic. Many blind ski programs, including Foresight, also have summer programs, which emphasize outdoor activities. What they also do is increase confidence in everything the person does. What our blind skiers tell us is they feel like they're flying. They feel totally independent. They feel freedom while they're, they're on the hill. There are no restrictions. There's nothing holding them back other than their own ability. Much of that is due in part to the fact that we are there to ensure their safety. And that is everything. You know, if, if we can make a small difference in somebody's life and they can go back and their their whole perspective is changed simply because they got to ski down a hill. I mean, how amazing is that? Or climb up a rock face. You know, when we did the rock climbing this past summer, it's just everyone should have the opportunity to participate in these amazing activities that can enrich our lives. Penn Street helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Why, it's my talking scale reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the tactile traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people who helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Pat Conroe, Lorraine Hutchinson, Debbie O'Leary, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Kaylee Romero, and Raleigh Burley. This has been The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. 